Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hello, hockey world. Hi, sorry, I, I lost I lost the screen for a second where we were. Apologize. Hey, everyone. Um, welcome to the Hockey Best Cast. We're going to start right in today because we got a lot of stuff to talk about. We don't have a Jan... Levine, our esteemed vlogger, we only have for a moment moment here, so let's start. Hello, Hockey World. It is Wednesday, May 12th, 2021. I'm Michael Agello, and I have not been fired today. No. I'm Jan Levine, and have to remember where I, what, what this meeting covers again. <laughs> That's right. And I'm Michael, and you're watching the Hockey Buzzcast, Buzzcast on HockeyBuzz.com. This is the podcast that comes to you Monday through Friday at this time to fill you in on the comings and goings in the hockey world now with more Tom Laidlaw. Than ever before. Yes. Hi, Tom. What's up, guys? How are you? Not hey, much. It's a fun day in New York. Um, so we yeah. have Jan for just like a five more minutes. So we're going to start with him real quick. And then, Jan, what are your thoughts here? Um, obviously, the, the news today is the Rangers have fired um, Coach Quinn and moved on to somewhere else. <laughs> well, we're, let's, let's get the all-encompassing here, Jan. Davidson, Gort. Yeah, we haven't had Jan since so give us a, Give us your two cents. Oh, um, I mean, I'm here, curious. I'm sure Tom is waiting on this. So clearly this has all the fingerprints of James Dolan, right? So when, when Dolan focused on the Knicks and not on the Rangers, in my opinion, things were much better. <laughs> I mean, I saw somebody actually tweet out, well, Dolan was there in 94. No, Dolan was not there in 94. It was Bob Gutkowski and a bunch of other guys who were running the ship back then. Since Dolan has come on board, right, he finally hired the right people on the Knicks and hopefully he's leaving them alone. For the Rangers, they've kind of been seconded a little bit. Because Sather pushed. Um, Sather, I mean, as the rumors you said, Sather came into town, was not happy with how the team was playing, was not happy with some of the pushback, although three, four weeks ago was pre-Islanders when they were on their run, so I was a bit surprised at that. Clearly, what happened in the Islander game was was not viewed by anybody in a positive light in terms of, quote-unquote, the lack of pushback, though the Islanders have a tendency to impose their will on a lot of teams, at least until recently. Uh, the problem is, is what was not missed was Trouba left the game during the game, which impacted their defense. They only had five blue liners, and he's their most physical blue liner. Chris Kreider, who's the guy who's another guy who can impose his will, left. And then afterwards, they lost Ryan Lindgren, which was another guy. So then you had the Tom Wilson incident snafu, however you want to refer to it, where George Paros kind of embarrassed himself to a certain extent with the ruling. And we had the tweet, as now it's been, we have the letter and the tweet, I guess, right. are the one word responses we can use for the Rangers the last couple of years. And clearly, Dolan made it readily apparent how he didn't like what happened. And granted, there was a lot of strong rumors that JD and Gordon were not in favor. Though I'm not quite sure if those are fireable offenses when you disagree with your boss in terms of a message being sent out. Percy, I didn't have a problem with it. Paros deserved to be called out. But granted, both of those guys were fired and somewhat surprisingly would say they're now ascending to take on a higher position. Uh, the arguments of keeping Drury another year, I think, were a bit unfounded. He turned down Pittsburgh girl in the year, which means he was biding his time and more than happy, in my opinion, to wait around and wasn't necessarily pushing right. to get it. And once that happened and the Rangers missed the playoffs, Quinn, we knew, was on borrowed time. You know, the, the issues with him have been well documented, as I wrote today, quickly. Um, start yeah. to games were very bad. Start to periods were very bad. Sometimes he had an inability to adjust mid-game. I know people questioned his usage of some of the young guys, which I'm like, I'm not sure what you people have been watching, given what this team has been utilized lately, though I disagree with that one. So kind of thought he was on borrowed time. 
I didn't expect anything to happen the day of. We knew it happened within a couple of days. So him getting fired is not surprising. I do think they overlooked the positive signs in terms of the growth of this team, et cetera. Yeah. Um, Michael, I know you want to kind of weigh in, so let me well, let no, you I, in. I just want to insert this to, to ask you further. Um, Russ said that when Quinn was out with COVID and Chris Knobloch comes in and they have a bunch of success, that that was another indicator that Quinn might be on borrowed time because they seem to play a lot better in front of a neophyte age. That's really unfair, That's really unfair though. The think? viewpoint was is they were looser in front of Knobloch. I, I guess you can well. argue that, but Knobloch was – look, unless Knobloch was really just parroting the company line, and granted he could have basically inserted his own view on this, right. he kept referring that the game plan came from Quinn and the coaching staff. He is executing a game. Now, granted, you're the one determining – line shifts and you're the one determining matchups at times based upon that so there's in-game decisions that have to be made but a lot of that was driven by the game plan that Quinn and his management and also the team played better look this year has been a wacky year right first of all with COVID so think about what happened to Zabinijad he wholeheartedly admitted afterwards he was not the same the first 20 odd or so games of the year you lost Panarin for non-games because the issue that happened with Putin Igor Shesterkin got hurt you've incorporated you lost Philip Five games yeah. into the season with a broken hand when he was making strides moving forward. True. You've incorporated Zach Jones. You've incorporated <laughs> other guys on your blue line that you make. Andre Miller started the year when he was on the top, ended up on the top pairing, right? D'Angelo would have been a pretty big story. No more than other teams, but you stayed in a playoff hunt. This yeah. was viewed as a rebuilding year. Yeah. The rebuilding yeah. was accelerated by getting Kako and Alexis Lafreniere. Everybody to a man agreed that, that Quinn helped make them better players. Even the veterans said it. Zabinijad was asked, you know, what he liked the coaching staff. He didn't come out explicitly and say he wanted them to stay, but very few players are going to come out and say that when it comes to a coaching staff because they know that's management decisions. Did it shock me that Quinn got fired? No. The only guy that shocked me a little bit was maybe Jacques Martin because I thought the defense played a lot better. I thought that the penalty kill was a lot better. Granted, I disagree with how they seed the blue line, and I'll, and I'll probably defer to Tom in terms of his view as how the blue line had played, but yeah. there were positive signs throughout this team all the way around. My hope is that if you're going to bring somebody on board, you bring the you don't just go to John Tortorella part two because John because James Dolan likes him. To me, the guy who I could see getting the job with the right guy is Bruce Boudreaux, based upon the way that his teams have played underneath him. Granted, he's not had playoff success, right, which is the detriment against him. But if you look at how his teams have played during the regular season, gotten better. To me, he's a guy, the guy I don't really think should get the job. And again, I'm going to defer to Tom on this. I think I know Mark Messier has been wanting this job for like ever he's made it readily apparent i just don't know if he's the right guy to put into this situation um just because while he knows hockey he's never been a head coach before he has no head coaching experience anywhere in terms of taking over an organization or running it as a head coach all right well thanks jen Let, let's go to tom and uh jen if you have to jump if you have to hop off hop off we appreciate it but uh Thank tom you. there's uh, some things there to talk about um <laughs> i can't follow jen after that that was excellent <laughs> No, Jen did a great job on that. I agree. I'm going to be mumbling and bumbling through this, and he's perfect. That's a good job, Jen. Bumbling, bumbling, stumbling. Yeah. yeah. So you're yeah. just let your thoughts, Tom. I guess let's start with um. We haven't had we haven't talked to you since since the since the big since the big firings, the first two firings. So let's go with the first two firings first. What are your thoughts on those? Well, totally shocked. I think like everybody, um, yeah. I, I really most people around the league that I talked to thought that the team was going in definitely in the right direction. Yeah. Um, and as far like you know, there's no question the team got pushed around the last two or three weeks of the season, and that really cost the playoffs. I think, and really, you know, kind of you're playing in New York, any city, but when you're playing in a city like New York, the one thing that fans want is to have a team that competes, right? If you're going to lose, you're going to lose, but you got to right. compete hard. So that was the hard part. But um, 
I just, uh, to me, I'm, I'm thinking more that, uh, you know, from what I hear of Mr. Dolan, who I don't know very well, and I must say, I, and I'm not saying that just because I am a Ranger alumni, but he, like, he treats us great. So the way right. we're treated by the organization, and even I've right. talked to JD and, and Jeff Gordon after the fact, and, and they said the same thing too. It's just, it's a fantastic organization to work yeah. for. Yeah. Um, but once Mr. Dolan gets an idea in his head, then he's, he's got the idea in his head. He's going to yeah. act on it. You know, he's the boss. So yeah. He's the boss. Um, I just think, I, I think a lot of it was uh, supposedly, and I don't necessarily think this is bad either. Apparently Glenn Sather was really actively involved in the background, not necessarily in right. wanting to get them fired, but just not in, not happy or agreeing the direction the team was going in. And I get, and I'm kind of piecing things together. It appears then he spoke to Mr. Dolan and Mr. Dolan, I don't think Glenn again told him to fire uh, JD and Jeff Gordon, but I think when it became apparent that uh, Glenn, who uh, Mr. Dolan really trusts a lot from a hockey standpoint, uh, was unhappy with the direction, then he said, okay, we've got to make a change then. And, and I would assume that uh, part of that change would be to sit down with Drury and say, well, okay, okay what is your vision for the coaching staff? Now, and again, I don't know if they would just write, if Drury had said, well, I'm going to keep Quinn, then he would not have got the job. But I'm I'm sure that's part of it. And, and listen, yeah. Drury, I think, is a really intelligent young guy. Like, like Jan said earlier, he had he turned down the job at Florida as well and had the Pittsburgh opportunity. I guess it interviewed for Minnesota as well. Um, so he, he's but he's he's not stupid either. He's he's got to listen to Glenn Sather. They, I don't think he just has to do exactly what he says, but he has to talk to him before he makes decisions. Well, right. I mean, this, this, <laughs> thing that was, this is the thing that was interesting. We had uh, Dennis Gorman, uh, who covers the Rangers for AP, on Off the Post on the weekend. Uh, and Jan, I want to ask you this. He said 85% it's Tortorella. And if we know Dolan, he's comfortable with certain people, and he, you know, when he's comfortable with somebody like Sather, you know, then he goes back to them. I mean, Sather was pretty much a senior advisor, and all of a sudden he's involved heavily in hockey operations. Dolan likes Tortorella, and now Tortorella walks away from Columbus. I mean, I think odds on it's Tortorella there, and I don't know if that's a good fit with all these young kids on this. Yeah. Do, you, do you really think that's – see, I just – and listen, I'm not doubting the Gorman there for his comments, but – Right. Man, I just don't see that. I, and I yeah. like the part of the problem with with, with Torts was MSG is a publicly traded company, right? Yeah, and he right. gets up there in those press conferences. I mean, it is the press conferences to me more was the reason they got fired than anything, and that hasn't changed with Torts. Well, let me let me That's ask a great you point. before Jan has to leave. Okay, Tortorella has a certain amount of negatives. Um, but I think down deep we know he's a very good head coach. Mark Messier to me would be a bigger disaster in New York than Wayne Gretzky was in Arizona. Because Wayne that. Gretzky was not a coach. He was sort of an overseer and he had Rick Tockett coach. I, from what I understand, Messier, if he takes the head coaching job, Craig McTavish will be on his staff and he'll basically be the coach doing the X's and O's. And, and we need to see how it worked out well with Craig McTavish at Edmonton. So I don't know if I'd yeah. go that direction. So, look, final. Torch coached in Tampa differently than he coached in New York differently than he coached in Columbus, right? I do agree, and I wrote today. The two concerns of me is, one, can he adjust the style from the last time he was here when he used that black and blue mentality and the team was beaten down, which is why they lost to Devils on the Adam Reek overtime game winner in game six that year in the conference finals, and they probably should have won. They were the better team. B, his messages wears thin with teams, especially in Columbus, where a lot of guys kind of started, I think, to tune him out a little bit, but he did a great job two years ago with an injury-plagued team by getting them to the playoffs. Yeah. 
Secondly, as Terrell Owens said, get your popcorn because the Brooks press conferences with him would be must-see TV. <laughs> so if MSG wants to boost ratings, though, they'd only last about two minutes, and that's probably the big problem, as Tom said, right? His, his press conferences play thin. Messier, in my opinion, look, he's a fig. I love Messier, but he's a figurehead. He's never coached. Gretzky actually did a decent job with Arizona one year and had them close to the playoffs. I don't know if Messier, as good as he is, I'm bringing him in. I'm bringing him actually to work with faceoffs because that's the bigger need on this team. Because right now they're horrific in faceoffs. I need a guy like Brad Richards to be part of this team. So I think Gerard Gallant has to be a favorite. I yes. think Bruce Boudreaux has mm -hmm. to be a favorite. Those are the guys I'd see. I could see Rick Tockett maybe getting a look. See, to me, Mike Boudreaux would be a guy who's a good guy, except oh. his playoff history is questionable. I do think Gallant is a guy who's going to get a lot of interest based upon his track record. And a guy who can maybe be a fit in New York with having you use young guys, but also develop players over time. Um, I want to I want to talk about Messier for a second. Um, and in terms of Tom, who is, you know coaches and you know the, the players that turn into coaches and different kinds of leaders and how that you know like you you were on a team you you had Mark you know Tom had Wayne Gretzky as his captain like you played under Wayne Gretzky as a captain, and you know and you then you saw him to coach and then. You know, the different styles between what do you think were the different styles between like Mark Messier as a captain and Wayne Gretzky as a captain? I think, and how does well, that play into coaching? Uh, Wayne was really not that vocal guy all the time. He already he would stand up with that death stare, you know, that thousand yard stare that Messier had. Uh, yeah. you know, it just you know, it's just it's just different type of leader altogether, different type of personality. Yeah. So right, right. I, I'm like Jan, I think we're all in the same boat when it comes to Mark Messier. Tremendous amount yeah. of respect for him, right? But yeah. I think it would almost be unfair to him even to step in. He coaches his kids' youth hockey right now, but to step into the National Hockey League under this situ situation with all the scrutiny, like his legend in New York is he's the captain, right? He's the Messiah. He brought the Stanley right. Cup in 94. So he's, right. a, he's a god now amongst Ranger fans. But he comes in and starts coaching. They start losing a few hockey games. That doesn't matter. Right. He's, oh, he's yeah. just another coach that's losing, right? So um, I, I just I don't think it would be fair to him even to coach. I'm a huge Gerard Gallant fan. I think he's the yeah. perfect guy for this for this job for this stage of these kids. I don't believe that Tortorella, and I like John Tortorella as a coach too, but he can't. He's a hard time coaching star players, and there's yeah. a bunch of potential star players on this Ranger roster that I just don't think it's a mesh with him. I just think the Gallant, the job that he did particularly in Vegas by taking a team that was not expected to go anywhere and taking them to the Stanley Cup Finals by getting the most out of every player. And I think that's what you look at this lineup right now. That's what this coach has to do, get the most out of every player. John Tortorella can get the most out of his Ryan Callahan's and those kind of guys. Yeah. But he has a hard time getting the most out of Patrick Line, right? I mean, that's... Yeah, right, right. Or, you so, know, or be able... I mean, you know, we've seen Pierre-Luc Dubois, like a bunch of different players, right? That, yeah. that have run through. So, yeah, I think, I think that's a really fair, fair point. And... Tor Tortorella got the most out of Pierre-Luc Dubois. It's just Pierre-Luc Dubois didn't like Tortorella. Hey, even though he said he did, I, you know, I, I don't think that that was the case. But, but Tom's right about what he – and now there's a couple things about Torts. One, I think that people don't give him enough credit for how good he is act at actually adjusting. Like he does actually adjust more than people think he does. But at the end of the day – there is still the Larry Brooks press conference, Jan. You're on right? It doesn't matter how much you And done. personally, as a person, he's a, he's a great person. I mean, if people you know all the stories about him as a human being, he's tremendous. I just don't think – I don't think what all the do in New York would really work. I just yeah, think, and I think reason, that, I don't think Mike Babcock is a great fit here either. No, he's not a good fit anywhere. He's not a good fit in the National Hockey League. <laughs> yeah, Tom's not a Babcock fan, and I'm with you, Tom, on that one. 100. I, I think I think that the reality is, yeah, this is this is this is you're looking at like Tortorella will bring a lot, brings brings a whole different kind of attitude. But in a way, it feels like 
a step backwards right now. Um, to me, if, if you're the Rangers in terms of, you know, we now Gallant, the thing with Gallant, it, it's very confusing because I'm agreeing with you and I, I'm kind of shocked that Gallant hasn't been, wasn't hired by Seattle yet. You know, I thought that Gallant would be perfect for Seattle. Why wouldn't you have him, have him if you're Ron Francis, you know, which makes me again, get more into like the broad. Well, the, rumor, the rumor on that there is Rod Brindamore to Seattle. Yeah, right, right. And I think that that's right. really. But there's rumors also that Brindamore is working on getting his coaches, his assistant coaches, a raise and extension. And that's why he hasn't signed his yet. So. Yeah, it's hard to really tell what's going on there. But at the end of the day, Galan has. Well, okay. two... If Brindamore becomes available, yeah. I would love Brindamore in New York. Yeah. If Brindamore becomes available. In Carolina and he becomes available, that would, guy would be a great fit in New York. Yeah, he becomes about, I mean, you know, and I think the Flyers would be in on that if that happened too. I think there's a lot of teams that would be in on that. So. Uh, you know, we don't know. But at the end of the day, you know, Gallant, let's talk about Gallant for a second because Gallant has had two really successful situations that ended very weirdly, Tom. Like, you know, like I, I think that the Florida situation ended in a weird way. The Vegas thing ended in a weird way. Um, is there anything about Gallant that we don't that they you know that that we don't know? Is there something about this guy that we could beyond the, the results? Yeah. He obviously gives the results. I think it's a great question. I think the Florida situation, remember Tom Rowe came in there, right? Uh, yeah. Took over from uh, Dale Talon and made a decision. Then all, then all of a sudden Tom Rowe's gone. So I think that was yeah. more him being stuck in that. And then the way they fired him too was just totally bushly. That it was, was just ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely ridiculous. So I think that was the situation. The Ooh, Vegas one, I don't know. Was that Kelly McCrimmon wanting to put his stamp yeah. on the team a little bit? That's what it um, felt like, you know. Um, and McCrimmon's got yeah. his detractors. There's no question about it. So they're talking about, you know, Roe isn't popular. McCrimmon's not exactly popular either. I mean, they're both in the same. So I don't know, you know. And I, I don't want to – all I've heard about Gallant was when he was an assistant with the – with the uh, Canadians, I heard incredible things about him as a as a person and as a coach. So I've heard great things about him too, every which way, every which different way. I, I think that man with that young town in New York and the way he likes to play that up tempo yeah. game, yeah. you're right. I mean that that again, great. like he was the mat. What I liked the most about Vegas was he took a bunch of players that throwaways, right? I mean they weren't that's really what they were cast as, and he got the most out of them. And I liked his comments. Like every time they talked about the team and he wasn't, he wasn't talking about his strategies. It's up to the players. Like he took, right. he made sure the players took ownership of their team and he just put them on the ice. Obviously he's doing a lot more than that, but I mean, as far as the public persona, it's your team guys. If you go out and play hard enough, then you're going to continue to get ice time. If you don't play, yeah. you know, and, and one thing I like too, he, he's, he made it clear to him. Listen, if you make a mistake, I'm not going to bench you. If you're not working right. hard, I'm going to bench you. But if you, you know, if you make right. a mistake, then you're going to play. And that's what these young kids need. They need that reassurance. Yeah. And I'd say I thought Quinn was a good coach. I, I, I really did. Yeah. I think he yeah. same coach. He made Zabanajad a way better player. He was getting Busnevich going. Uh, look at all the players I thought that really prospered under him last year before the pandemic hit. The Rangers were one of the top teams in the National Hockey League. They're playing that way, yeah. anyways. I know. So I mean, again, I, I hear the the comments about the not getting the team ready at the start of periods, the start of the game. That's young players. You got a roster full of young kids like that. That's they're yeah. they're just trying to survive out there. So yeah. you, you can't underestimate. And it, uh, James Dolan likes the big splash with the Knicks. Phil Jackson, and even most recently, I know that he brought in people to run the uh, to run the, the basketball operations. But Tom Thibodeau is a big, uh, big name head coach. He likes big names. Uh, I, I would not doubt. I mean, even though 
you know, the arguments are in favor of a guy like Gallant in terms of that young team and getting the most out of it. They all make sense. I, you know, Boudreaux could make sense. Even young coaches out there. Somebody was mentioning Lane Lambert or Chris Knobloch, who was the assistant coach or who was the coach in Hartford. They could make sense too. But I get the feeling that Dolan is going to want a want a big name and b want somebody who will play the type of style of hockey that he is apparently and and say there want them to play. And to me. That's torts. So, I, well, I, remember though. Remember, see, Mr. Dolan really relies on Glenn Sather a lot yeah. for his opinion on who he's hiring. So right. I, I hear you. I'm not trying to dismiss. Obviously, Mr. Dolan is the owner, right. but you got to remember who does Glenn really say to him? Listen, this is the guy. And that again, right. that doesn't necessarily mean that he just selects that guy. But right. again, we're forgetting about Chris Drury here too. Right? I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. He, they, they're smart enough businessmen to know that they can't pull the rug out from underneath jury and make it look like he's not making a decision. I mean, right, he right. has to be involved in the decision, or else he loses all his credibility, right? Exactly, exactly. And he's not, and he's a, and he's a guy who won't stand for that either. Like he's not going to be okay. He's not going to sit around and right. just let him. You know, you know, it's no, hard. It's, 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 he's not a puppet for sure, Glenn Sather. But like you said, Tom, he's. He, He's in a, He's taking a job, you know, like everybody who's ever taken a job knows that you have to listen to people that are around you that, you know, that you have to, you have to pay attention. I mean, I remember, I mean, Brian Burke, who's as, as, as rough and tumble and as independent as they get. I remember having lunch with Burke during the, um, the, I think it was the Atlanta all-star weekend. <laughs> That's a long time ago. Um, but I was having lunch with him and he was, he was at that time, you know, the rumor was, is he going to go to Toronto? Is he going to go to Toronto? And he was, he was with the Anaheim ducks and, he would say, you know, there's certain things I want to do, but I do have owners, you know, I do have owners that say things to me and I do have to, and, and he said, and he would say, you know, and I can't say that publicly, you know, I wouldn't put, go out there, you know, I wouldn't go on a radio show and say, yep, yeah, but the owner won't let me do that. There's no yeah. way I can, I can do that. And he only went to Toronto after the owners gave him the okay to do so. So, yeah, I mean, right. I was following that back in 08. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so you have to, if you want to have, if you want to have a career in the executive part of anything, you know, hockey is no different. You know, you have to pay attention to the rule of, you but, know, the line but, of command a little bit. But here is one here is one factor. I when Sather was general manager back in the early part of this century, he fired Tom Rennie and he hired John Tortorella. So yep. there is a relationship. But he there. also, you know, I'm sure was part of the firing of John Tortorella. I, I, and, I remember John John Davidson is great friends with John Tortorella. Yeah. So yeah. what does John Davidson say to John Tortorella right now? Right, right. Davis is so, going to talk to him, and, and he's going to say, uh, "Yeah." And Torts is is a loyal guy too. Like you know, he might just say, "No, I'm not going to the Rangers." You know, he could just he could just be the kind of guy who just screw them. I'm not going to the Rangers. There's no way. Like I'm not going to do hey, that. Hey guys, let me. Ask, how long are you going to be on? You can be on for a while. We'll be on until like we'll be on until two thirty. But if you have to go, you have to go. It's totally fine. Okay. Well, I've got to take a call that would probably take me ten minutes, but I want to jump back. Want on to jump again. back on? Right? That'd be great. All right, we'll be here. Perfect. Okay, good. thanks, Tom. Appreciate Thank it. Yep. Um. Well, let, let, uh, let's, let's go around some of the other stuff in the league until Tom gets back. Well, uh, yeah, let's touch on the uh, Kevin Adams and Don Granado press conferences in Buffalo today. And, uh, go ahead, Mike. Fill us in. Well, the interest that, I think the most interesting thing was, and, and Granado, you know, he was limited to what he could say. He said yeah. there's a process here. 
I've talked to Kevin Adams. The, you know, we the process that we agreed to when I was made interim coach is still in place. So you know, he's he's sort of locked into what what, the, what they you know yeah. they look for a coach and probably prob, I'm assuming this they're going to look for a coach and if they can't find a coach, then Don Granado is going to be the fallback. He didn't even shut right. the door as the possibility of him coming back as an assistant. So he's um, a class character in and out I, exactly, and I think everybody understood that. Now, which is why he sometimes stands out in Buffalo, and this is why some of the Buffalo people. Are like okay, maybe we should look at this guy a little bit longer. Yeah, but the, in the end, I mean, the I don't people, think they're going to. But I think, and in the end, who the people we're going to hire him are the Pagulas and right Adams. And I think, like I said, I think the only way he gets the job is if everything else falls apart. So now the other thing was, uh, <laughs> the, this uh, this Eichel situation regarding the uh, medical uh, situation is basically they want him. To re rehab, right? Uh, they, they that's the conservative approach. He they didn't go into a lot of detail about the procedure, but the uh, Adams indicated that the procedure that Eichel wants to have has never been performed on an NHL player. Fantastic! It's it's sort of like a disc replacement. Uh, and they they deem that to be high risk. So they're looking at more conservative situations. I mean, you know, I can only read this. If they if he has that procedure, he has value trade value is nil, uh, because everybody would be worried. Let, let, let me say something about that, Mike. Just continue. I'm sorry. Continue your thoughts. Sorry, I finished your thought. I, I, I'm just saying. I think that they're looking at it in in, a, in, certain, in terms of a conservative approach because they think he'll get back to being healthy that way. But the risk, they're talking about a window of time until I think they said early June um, where they think that he could rehabilitate. And if it doesn't get any better, then they can uh, then they could uh, uh, approach it in, in a surgical way. But then I think if he has a surgery in June, you're risking him being able to come back at for the beginning of the season. I think the I think the and the Sabres didn't say this and I'm just guessing here, but I would say that the, they're their hesitancy regarding the surgery is twofold. One, it's uh, if he's tr if, if they tr are trying to trade him, his value is nil. Right. Uh, with, with that surgery, until he proves he's healthy. The right. other thing is if he has the surgery and it wrecks his career, they're on the hook for the money. Now there's insurance, but right. they're and that and with everything with the Buffalo Sabers, it's dollars and cents. Right, everything right now. Oh yeah, no, it is. It, it is dollars and cents. There's no question about. It. But they're also, like we said, there also is. This is the time that they're going to. They know they're going to have to take a little bit of a hit here to make this to make this somewhat better. There's no question about that. No, I where I differ from you, and I think that honestly, I talk to people up there. Um, now you know I do. I've said I've said it before that that you know I know Don Granado really well. I can text him back and forth. Um, but I also know that he's not, I'm not talking to him right now because this is not the time he's going to give me any information at all. And he knows, and you know, all I've said is good luck and I got a thanks act back. That's all we got, you know? So, and that's what, that's all we, but I, but talking to other people in that area, you know, not as close and not as dangerous to and able to talk to me <laughs> a little bit more. Um, I think that uh, the one thing I get overwhelmingly is the resounding aspect of Mike, when I talk to things that you, like things you say there is they are not at all looking in terms of how this affects Eichel's trade value in the slightest. Like they are, this is what they say over and over again. They, they do not, uh, trading Eichel is not on their radar yet. I well, mean, it, it might be eventually, but it's still, even, even with the stuff that happened now, you know, and I, that's why I checked because I said, you know, I know in the past they've said that they had no, but with stuff that was said recently with this stuff, 
There's absolutely no, no, no way that they are trading Eichel right now. And from what I've heard. Well, because, okay, because his value is diminished because of the injury and because of the bad season and because he only scored two goals last year. I I, I get that, but and, and and Adams indicated that Eichel has not requested a trade. But if they're not thinking about his value in terms of looking forward, they're delusional. Act because- no, because no, they he is their he is their he is he is more valuable to them they feel than anything else. So that's that's how they're that's that's where they're looking at. It. I mean, that that his value is to them. They. I- I think the smartest thing for the organization to do is to keep him, is to reestablish his value. And then if you can bring in a coach that will be able to like reach him and maybe get him to stay in Buffalo, that's great. But if by reestablishing his value, you increase his value on the trade market when you have to trade him, then that's the best case scenario too. But I don't know whether that's possible. We don't know whether he's going to ask out. You know, he might say, I'm going to wait until we see who the head coach is. Well, I think he is going to wait to see who the head coach is. I don't, I also don't think, I, you know, and, and I, I keep wanting, there's going to come a point where he will ask out. Like we always say, he's not going to ask out. He's not going to ask out. But there will come a point when, you know, if this keeps going like this, of course, he's not going to spend his entire NHL career in a flounder. But all, I think- all, all, all I know is that the, the, the press conference that he held on Monday was not the press conference and the comments made were not the, the comments yeah. of somebody who is a happy camper. He no. gasoline on the fire. He did not pour water on it. Yeah, I know. I get that. And at the same time, I think that, you know, he, him doing that was the responsible thing for him to do as a player on that team too. Like he's playing, playing a part of like when I, when I watched that press conference, I did see the leader of the players type guy, you know, like I saw the guy, he's like, I'm, I'm speaking for the players here. I'm leading the players. Like this is, we're not happy at all. And then that's something that someone has to say that. And he's the guy. Well, who, he, um, well, even he said in, in the press yeah. conference, I mean, direct quote, I'm thinking of Jack Eichel. Yeah, but I think when he said and, and but I, that that was tied to if Greg me wrong, but that was tied to the surgery issues, right? So that was like well, that no. was tied to like within the surgery. So he see so if he's he talks to a doctor who says this this procedure is better and it hasn't been used a lot maybe in the NHL yet, but it's a newer procedure from what I understand, but it does has has, has really good success. He might legitimately I mean he's also going to do the what's best for his career. In right. that situation too, but that's, but that but that career is is doesn't mean it's away from the Sabers either. That career just means what he's doing for the best for him, to make him the best player he can be. So he's got a. He said, "Yeah, I'm 24, 24 years old. The Sabers right. got to think the best thing for them. I've got to think the best thing for me." Right, right, and I think that where then and right there, what that what that statement tells you right away is, you know, you don't have to go any further to to know there's a disconnect, right? Because what's the right thing for the Sabres should be the right thing for him. And what's the right thing for him should be the right thing for the Sabres. Cause the two are intertwined and completely tied together. The successes of the Eichel and the successes of the Sabres are completely together. And if they're, if, if he thinks that what, if he thinks what I think is best for Eichel is the Sabres don't think it's best for the Sabres, then, then you're, then you have a disconnect, right? That's just, and it just doesn't, to me, that makes no sense at all. And him saying that it shows his frustration. Um, because obviously the Sabers would want to do whatever they can to get the best Jack Eichel they can get back. Yeah, um, not whatever they can to get the most value out of Jack Eichel. Not not have him get a surgery so he gets back sooner so they can trade him in a different way. They're not they're not thinking in those terms right now. Um, well, that's, I mean that's not what I'm saying either. I'm saying that I think they're taking a conservative approach in terms of his rehabilitation because if he has surgery and they need to or have to trade him, his value will be lower. 
because the then there's the unknown. The, the, yeah, because yeah, but the, the like you're right, you're right, you're right. I get and you're right about the unknown, but I don't think that for a second you're not the the, the Sabres trade Jack Eichel until they until he's back on the ice playing 100 percent and everybody's comfortable with it. Like there's not that's not going to happen. We get the most value for him. Yes. Yeah. So you're not. So he's going to have the surgery. Whatever surgery he gets, or what, or if he doesn't get surgery, even if that affects his game, if he comes back and you know doesn't get surgery and he can't play it to his level as well, you they're not going to trade him until he's shown that he can be a top player and a top center in the league again. And 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 even then, even then, you know, you're not going to. They're really thinking in terms of he is. If if they give up on Jack Eichel, they really have completely failed in their minds. Oh um, yeah, well I mean. Yeah. And it's it's bigger than Eichel because right. I mean, really coming out of Monday's press conferences um, and media availabilities, the questions are not Eichel but Eichel, Reinhardt, and Ristolainen. The, the core group of right. you know mo the core group of most of the tank of the of the middle of the last decade. Twenty fourteen top pick Reinhardt, twenty fifteen top pick. Eichel, Ristolainen was a top pick from a few years before. Those guys are the cornerstone of. There you go. Of you know, are the core group of of this team that has failed, and they're frustrated. They're all 24, 25, 26 years old. They either want to win, they don't want to rebuild, they want to you know have players come in and help them win, or they want the hell out. Right. And I I honestly don't blame them. Who right, can I don't blame them either? Being frustrated. I, I agree with you. Sorry, this is Stella's gotten pretty big. This is my puppy. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. So the calmer down. She's like, this is this, this dog is like this dog is seven months old and is growing like a friggin' weed. I mean, she's a corgi. And uh Corgi's, you know, she's a she's a she's a cuddle dog though. This is like this is what she likes to do. This is the one that's why I was gonna put her up here for a second. Yeah, this, this is just cutest dog ever. Uh, ever. I'm telling you, this dog is crazy. But she also is like she loves to torture her sister, the other dog. So all right, you go get him. Say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everyone. All right, I'll give you a, I'll give you a, all right, there we go. All right. Now, the other the other uh, things. So now we have um, more playoff matchups locked, and the most important. Yes, we have the, we have the one we wanted. Yes. Um, we have we've gotten to that point. We have the one we wanted. Yes, yeah, the first the first time in. Keep going. I'll I'll, I'll I'll cover here. First time in 42 years that the Leafs and the Canadians will face each other in the playoffs. And yes, I was around when they played each other last. And I actually remembered because I was 12 years old. Um, they the Leafs and the Habs played consecutive years. Uh, here's here's the other dog. Yes, Panda. <laughs> this one's torturing the torturing the big dog. That's what you're hearing. That's why you, the, the high pitched sound is the big dog, not her. Um, the Leafs played the Habs in '78 in the semifinal and '79 in the quarterfinal. The Habs yeah. went on to win the Stanley Cup both years. They swept the Leafs. Now, granted, I, I you know uh, they they didn't have Boria Salming in '78. He got hurt, and they didn't have their number one goaltender in Paul Matier in '79. Uh, they got swept both times. The last time the Leafs beat the Habs in the playoffs was, hmm, let me see, 1967. <laughs> so, yep. uh, yes. So now that's the thing. This is this is going to be a battle. It's not going to be easy. I, I don't you know, like everybody. Oh, oh, you know, they're going to run. You know, I, I love Craig Button from TSN, but Craig Button came out and said, "Oh, the Leafs are going to sweep them in four. Ugh. Not a chance in hell." 
No, but that 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 I mean that listen, I, I've thought about how I'm gonna pick this series and we're gonna get into our predictions, I think, probably starting tomorrow. But um well, we, we should, you know I think we should stagger them as the as the playoff round. Like yeah, but the first right. one's on Saturday. We, and there you know, we might have some on Sunday too. We got Tom back as well. Let's bring yeah. Tom back in. I'll bring him in. Um but um yeah, I think I just, anyone who thinks anyone who I was thinks, just talking to Gary Bettman and I told him I had to get back on the show. So Oh, thank you. Yeah, tell him tell him that's unacceptable. Um yeah. <laughs> to take you from the show. Uh, so we're talking a little bit about the um, – we're talking a little bit right now about the the Rangers situation. Um, but before that, we were talking about – we were talking about – obviously, we are talking Rangers with Tom losing my mind. We were talking Sabres while you were away. Um, and the Eichel situation right now, which is um, – when you were a player – you were a player player agent for a long time too. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's in a spot. Now he came out, and the, the team wants him to get – wants him to not get surgery – he does want, he wants to get surgery, a specific kind of surgery that is, I guess, newer and a little bit more experimental. Team saying, no, we want you to do, if you're going to get surgery, get the regular surgery. Uh, Eichel's really unhappy, says there's a huge disconnect. Um, when I talk to people up in up in Buffalo, they have no desire to to trade Eichel. People are saying that, you know, there's a look that looks like they could possibly trade Eichel. Well, how do you see this playing out? Where, would you see anything, like any, any clues here from what you're watching? Well, I'm a little bit surprised that it's gotten as public with the neck thing because there's a process. I, I got to think back correctly. There's a process there when the team and the player disagree on a medical treatment. There's right. a third party they can go to, right, to get a third opinion. Right. At least that's how it works. Um, so there's a whole process. I kind of get the feeling, okay, is he – not that he's – he is legitimately hurt, but is he using the situation to air his frustrations, to force a trade or to – to get things changed in Buffalo, you know, change the management of the way they operate things because right. – um, I mean, I, I tell you, I, I really, when you start asking for trades, it seems like it's a thing to do now. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is doing it. I mean, uh, all <laughs> these other other sports, they're all yeah. doing it. Man, you you run the risk if they don't trade you. I mean, then, now you're stuck with a, you know, in a Buffalo already, Mike, you know better than anybody. I mean, the fans aren't too happy with the way things are going. And you know, your star player asked for a trade and the team says, we're not trading you. Um, and you got to stay here. But it makes it kind of tough on the player. Yeah, I mean, it's not exactly a happy camp in Western New York right now. I, I mean, he's not asked for a trade, to be clear. He has not asked for right. a trade. Yes, At least well, we know of him. I mean, what, right. but, and I, from what I'm talking to people, I, I get the impression that he's still he's still trying to make his statements are more about we need to fix this now again, right. you know. But, but eventually, but he said that for the last three years in a row. So it's got to be getting a little tiresome for him, you know. Well, and, and act, the, the thing is, it's not a disagree from from what I understand from watching Eichel's media availability and then watching Adams today. It's not a disagreement over what surgery he should have. The the team, the medical people for the team are saying, take the conservative approach and rehab. And he's saying, I want surgery. He wants to get surgery done now so he can re- get back and recover and be ready for next season. Right. And and they're sort of like twiddling their thumbs because they, you know, they want him to to, to rehab and try everything before, besides surgery. And surgery would only be the last, uh, the you know, the last resort. And now he's ha- he's consulted a second opinion, and I guess yeah. the procedure is is that they, um, uh, they will pre- they present their findings to the team, and then the team doctors have to sign off on it, and the team doctors haven't signed off on it. So that that's that's where they are right now, and uh, there's a quandary, and it probably won't be resolved until early next month. And at that point, then if they if and in the end he has surgery, then he should have had surgery in April. Yeah, to yeah. Recover. How how old is he now? Twenty three. Twenty four. 
Okay, but I mean, a 24-year-old wanting to get surgery on his neck, I mean, most people, when they get into neck injuries and back injuries, you want to, you want to do everything you can to avoid surgery, right? Once right. you start getting the surgeries, now you're it's just a constant cycle yeah. of having problems. So I, I just, it doesn't add up. I mean, uh, I mean, obviously, he's got advice from people telling him he needs to get surgery. I don't know who these, who the doctors are, but. Right. Yeah. Now here's a question. Someone in the, in the chat room asked this, and I want to know the same thing from you, Tom. And I, because I, I was talking to people, I don't think that if he wants surgery, I don't think the Sabers can technically stop him, can they? Yeah, that's untrue. No, they can't stop him. Uh, no, not at all. Yeah, go do it. And, and I'm with Mike. Has, that's yeah. the Why hasn't he done it already? Well, right. no, okay. Let, let me let me. Okay, and I every contract is different, but I'm I'm sure that the 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 standard player contract has certain certain commonalities in it. And if you remember uh, Jared Cowan, who played for the Leafs, he was traded from Ottawa to Toronto. This was during Lou's time in Toronto. And he went ahead without team permission and had surgery. And they vacated his contract, and that was upheld by the league. So he cannot have surgery unless the Sabres – he can go ahead and do it, but they could, they could terminate his contract if they did, if he did. Well, they're not going to terminate Eichel's contract. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Eichel would be happy. But, but you're right, though. Yeah, you're right. And I guess I think that's more of a CBA issue. I don't because a standard player's contract can could not change the language on a standard player's contract. You can add an addendum to it for any kind of bonuses when players are eligible and that, but you okay. can't change the language of the standard player's contract at all. But, yeah. Um, yeah, that seems like it seems almost uh, not inhumane, but just flat out, you know, unethical to be able to not be able to do that, to be able to tell a person that they can't have surgery that a doctor's recommending. Yeah. Well, and Mike, the, so that Toronto player, uh, so he went ahead and had surgery, and they yeah. vacated his contract. Well, he, I didn't he, know he had they they were they were gonna buy they were gonna buy him out. They, they they made a trade with Ottawa. He was a salary dump by Ottawa. They were gonna buy him out, and they they, they cleared him medically, and then they said, okay. We're not playing you the rest of the season because we're going to buy you out. But that would that that did not necessarily. But they did they did they directly tie that to the surgery though. No, no, but okay. Their their medical staff cleared him. He said, "I'm going to go and get surgery." Okay. Didn't have their permission because by him having surgery, that locked him in for the last. Oh yeah, yeah, I got you. I get what you're they saying. They couldn't there. buy him out, right? They couldn't they buy him out. Yeah, yeah that, player, becomes, yeah. Uh, that then that does become dicey in that situation. That sounds like an arbitrator situation there. Yeah, so that's not just a, a player go ahead and get. There's also the tie into the uh, buyout, right? So he. Right, he was told they were going to buy him out. Yeah, because the perception is now he's doing he's doing that just to uh, just to avoid the buyout, right? Which is kind of nuts, obviously, to get ever to get surgery in any situation to avoid to avoid something like that. But you, but there's a lot of money at stake, and this is guy yeah. you know didn't have a long career, so I, I I see everybody's going on. You know that makes some sense. Um, let's talk a little bit about the Maple Leafs and Canadians, Tom, because we have for the first time, like 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 Mike said. Now I always jokingly say that I am the curse of the Maple Leafs because yeah. the last time. The last time the Maple Leafs won was 1967 in in May. Okay, I think it was May that they won. Okay, if you go not, it was May, I believe I'm going to say it's May 12th or 2nd, no. May 2nd, okay? If you go nine months ahead from May 2nd, you get the birth of myself, okay? <laughs> so I my existence on this planet is the last thing that, you know, my, May 2nd, 1967, you go nine months ahead from there, you get you get right around the time that I was born, which means that I was conceived right around the time the Maple Leafs won the Stanley Cup last, which means that, therefore, I have this, I'm, I'm the one who's the curse of the Maple Leafs. No, no, Tom. So is there, is there any tie, like your parents, your parents are celebrating the, the uh, Stanley Cup victory? Is that what it was or what? Uh, my dad was a Red Wings fan, so I'm guessing not. Oh. Um, 
I'm guessing oh. he was pretty pissed off about it. You know, he, uh, my dad, you know, only my dad rode his bicycle from Collingswood, New Jersey to Madison Square Garden to see the Red Wings play whenever they came to town. So oh. that's all I, uh, but I'm guessing that the Maple Leafs Canadian series was kind of off their radar. Um, I uh, know that I'm not the curse because I was a month old. You were a month old. So, okay. So now, so, but now we're seeing these teams play again. Um, you know, um, who is it that came out and said a sweep? Oh, uh, Craig Button from so Craig Button, who I really, I, I think Button's amazing. But especially with prospects, but he comes out and says the Maple Leafs are going to sweep the Canadians. Um, no Curry Price, right? Well, no, he's supposed to play, right? He's leading. He's. Uh, I don't know if he's going to get into the. They, their last game is tonight against Edmonton. I don't think he'll play, but it seems like they're ramping him up towards starting. Yeah, it seems, and because he had another week still to go from oh, that, okay. he's already skating with the team. Um, so I think I think he's playing. Um, you know, granted, they're going to have they're going to get, get and Brendan Gallagher and uh, right Gallagher's coming back too, which yeah. is also pretty. That's a hugely important player for them. So, um, and I and and then beyond all that, I mean, when you watch these teams play, right? You know, like they they played a few weeks ago. It doesn't look like the Canadians can stay with the Maple Leafs. Like, there's no question about that. Like, the no one can stop. No one on the Canadians can stop Austin Matthews. Just flat right. out, no one. No one can stop him. But okay, now we're going to test to see how much tougher the Toronto Maple Leafs have gotten, right? I mean, yeah, I'm not right. saying the Montreal's a really tough team, but there are more, you know, Shea Weber's there. He can pound people. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, if, if Montreal's smart, that's, their, that's the card they have to play, right? They obviously have to yeah. skate with them, but they have to pound them too. And now, okay, is Austin Matthews going to accept that? Is he going to fight through that? Is Mitch Marner going to fight through that? Um, how much of a role does Simmons play there? Does he give them, you know, make them play taller and harder? Um, that's going to be the test, I think. Right? Yeah, I think that's a. I, I agree, and that, that's what's going to be so much fun about it. Um, and also, some of these older guys, too. There is there is anyone has anyone have any concern that they are older guys and they played a lot of games this year, and that the playoffs are, are another are even another. I mean, this there is something. Will we see? Like Simmons has been phenomenal, and in every which way, I you know I'm a huge Wayne Simmons fan. I was when he was here. Such a great guy to cover. Such a great guy to talk to. Um, the Flyers never should have let him go ever, in my opinion. He really rests up the locker room, but and and he's done a great job there. Thornton, the same thing. Spezza, the same thing. These are great people, right? They're all really good people. Um, but at the same time, you know, do they run out? Or, you know, are they going to run out of energy here? The, the the other thing you have to throw into this, and why I don't think it can be a sweep, is this is just Montreal, Toronto, and it doesn't matter. Like yeah. there's a there's a point at which Montreal and Toronto is just Montreal and Toronto, and you know, Montreal, look what they did to Pittsburgh in the bubble, right? That's a, That was a team that they really couldn't match up against either. But I mean, they, You'd have to think Carey Price is going to steal at least one, maybe two yeah. games, right? No, I, right. that's the thing. I mean, I, I I love Craig Button, but I think Craig Button is also doing this for sort of, you know, tro trollish, trollish reasons. I mean, it's like, you know, he always loves to throw a dig into the Leafs and predicting the Leafs to sweep. So once they win, once Montreal wins one. <laughs> that's the worst thing you can do. <laughs> <laughs> Tom grew up a Toronto fan. Tom Tom grew up a Maple Leafs fan, and he knows that the worst thing you can do is tell your tell tell you that the Maple Leafs are going to are going to sweep the series. Yeah, this yeah. is I mean, <laughs> in my mind, this is going to be a very, it's going to be a very tough series. I think it's going to go six or seven games. I think the Leafs will win, but I'm I'm letting I'm you know I'm uh, pulling the uh, uh, the the cape off of my prediction for the series, but yeah. The thing is, it's going to be tough. And Montreal, the only way Montreal is going to win is, as Tom said, you know, they've got that big four on D with Edmondson, Weber, Sherratt, 
and Petrie. They're big, all big. They're all, most of all of them are tough. They're going to lay the body. Anderson as well. Now, one the one thing about Montreal that they they may not have their number one checking center in Philip Deneau because he's got a concussion. That was the guy they would match up on against Matthews. Yeah. That gives that gives. <laughs> And I, and I think Montreal is weak up the middle. That's what I think is going to be the determining factor in the series. But it's they not the best centers in the in the league on one team and the worst centers in the league on the other team. I mean, yeah, it's, not gonna, it's not going to be a cakewalk by the by you know. So I'm sorry, it just won't. Well, be. And, and you, I know you talk about the bigger guys, but Gallagher, although he's not big, I mean, he plays a big game, right? I mean, yeah, you, him, you look at him in the lineup all the time. You go, oh, God, I got to play against that guy. So yeah, he's a mean uh, player. Um, Tom, how old were you in 1967? And do you remember the Toronto Maple Leafs winning the Stanley Cup? So I was born in '58. So I was. Uh, what's that make me? Nine you years old. Nine. I, I actually, I do remember that. Yeah, yeah, do. I do remember. Well, yeah. I mean, you were a fan, obviously. You, how far outside of Toronto did you grow up? Yeah, about twenty-five miles. We had the old black and white TV every Saturday night. We sitting there watching Hockey Night Canada. Oh, that was. There's yeah. nothing that beats it. There's nothing that beats Hockey Night in Canada. I will say oh. it over and over again. I mean, they are the best. They're the best broadcast on the planet. I love them. I've got friends there. They sent me a hockey. They sent me a Hockey Night in Canada jersey and a Hockey Night in Canada um, like it club did. polo shirt. Awesome stuff. I tell you, I remember when they lost the rights to the song. I was devastated. I was like, how can they not? How can they not have the song for Hockey Night in Canada? And <laughs> beats it into the ground because they play it after every period. Yeah. Uh, but, and the but, John Shannon thing that he does now, that what was actually when John, from what I understand, was partially was his idea, which is the one that which people don't get to see. Hockey Night in Canada, you get you, you. I mean, you, it is on the center ice package. You will, you can't see it, but if you, I, I have, um, you know, Canadian TV here too. So, the the concept that they do of just of having no, no announcers speak while the players come on the ice for about ten minutes, and the, you just see the players, you see the benches, you see the guys circling, you just see, you hear the crowd. That's it. That that to me. Is like the most amazing thing you can possibly. Yeah. That's just that's brilliance. Brilliance yeah. is best, and you, you know, there's no way you can't be a hockey fan if you watch that. Yeah. I mean, and in Montreal, like what they do with their their Montreal opening thing that they do with the Coldplay song, the Fix You song, and all that stuff. Oh man, it's yeah. just that's it, it's just it's, it's it gives you chills. It's incredible. The only sad thing about this series happening this year is that no fans in the stand, very little fans in the stands. Right? I know, yeah. I know, I know, and it, it's really it is really rough. And you know, it even even now, like thinking that Montreal has to play Edmonton tonight in a meaningless game. I mean, that's just that, that's just without any fans in it. I mean, do we really have to do this? Is the NHL? I mean, the, what are we just trying to see if they don't get guys hurt? I mean, what are we trying to say here? Well, I was just thinking that too, right? I guess they need the revenue. They got TV deals and all that kinds of stuff, so it's they have the to play them. Yeah, it's a TV yeah. thing. But they did exactly what I said they were going to do, Mike. Did I get any credit for that at all? They they, they moved the games to the afternoons, remember? Remember I told you? You did say oh. that. But I think, okay, mm -hmm. I think it's absolutely asinine that the that that the, the NHL is making the North Division wait until yeah. Wednesday to play yeah. friggin' meaningless games between Calgary and Vancouver. That the only thing that's determined determined is where they rank for the draft lottery to yeah. put put to, to put the the division playoffs on hold. It's so utterly stupid. Yeah, but, I don't I don't get it at all. What's the option, though, Mike? Well, the the option the option would have been to forfeit the games. They're meaningless. Yeah, but they, for TV though, they can't do that. They have to. Put, but and there's bonuses involved, and there's all sorts of things too with players. Yeah, nobody. I mean, yeah, go ahead. There'll be six people watching those games. No, well, I agree. No, I agree with that. But I, I just I don't know if they they've got a choice really. Right? Hey, what, okay, who, what's the best series in the first round then? Yeah, uh, that's that's a great one, and I love that. Um, I'll I'll okay. I'll, okay, go go, Mike. I'll eliminate Toronto Montreal for my bias, and I would I would say the best one could be. 
uh, Florida, Tampa. Ooh, nice call. Florida, nice call. Tampa, and my runner-up might be Boston, Washington, because you've got the Chara aspect in that series where, you know, Chara was there for over a decade, and now yeah. he's playing for Washington against the Bruins. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm anxiously awaiting the first time Brad Marchand crosses into the crease and Chara, like, low bridges him. And they call the Orkin man to pick up the to pick up the uh, the, the remain remnants of that rat. It's pretty awesome that you know we can sit there and say the that the Florida Panthers and Tampa Bay Lightning are, is the best series in the first round. Like, and it, it's I mean that's pretty, to me as a as a proponent of hockey in the Southern United States. I'm just I really that's amazing thing to me. Um, I, but I don't. I, and even though I, I will be watching every second of that series, um, regardless of who else is on, I think the best series is going to be Colorado and Minnesota. I just think I think that that is such a is such a war of a series. Those those teams are just crazy, um, and that's set right. They're set to play each other now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that 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 I mean Minnesota is is so much better. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine? I thought about this. Remember, remember they were in the Central Division until like a week before when they flipped. They flipped with Dallas. Like the whole idea was Dallas was going to be in the West and and Minnesota was going to be in the Central this year, and then Minnesota complained about it and Minnesota ended up going to the West and Dallas went to the Central. Where does Minnesota finish if they're in the central? I thought about this. Like, this is like, yeah. you know, like how, where would they, and where does Dallas finish if they're in the West? Um, well, let me check their records. I mean, we know, but it, obviously it's impossible to say like point wise, you can, you can look at points, but who they played, they, you put Minnesota now playing the teams in the central division right. um, versus sure. playing the teams in the West. Minnesota had 75 points. Dallas had 60. So right. Minnesota, Minnesota would be in third place in the Central, tied with Tampa, and uh, um, Dallas would be uh, would be in fourth place, one point ahead of St. Louis. But St. Louis has got two games left. Yeah, but of course, since you know they only play teams from their own division, those points are really meaningless. I mean, the thought the thought of the process is which division you know out west you get you do get the benefit of playing against you know the California teams who were struggling. Um, yep. You know, here in the East, you know, Columbus struggled, obviously, and in the Central, Columbus struggled, Chicago struggled, but and um, and Detroit. But these are good; they're still pretty good teams. I, I don't know. I think I think Minnesota um, could have won the Central, to be honest. I think sure. that I think I think that that's how good they are. So that's why I think this Colorado, just looking at them play this Colorado Minnesota series, for that to be the first for one of those teams to be going out right away, is really tough. That's how you have to ask yourself, you know, like what's the what's the team that has the most 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 to lose you know, here? You know who I'm looking forward to watching? Carolina and Nashville. I, think I know, me too. To me, Carolina. I, I figured Carolina would uh, make the playoffs. I didn't think they'd win the division. I thought ta- that was Tampa's to take. There's- and Nashville. I was I was critical of Nashville all year long, but they finished pretty strong, right? They were seven two and one in the last ten. There's yeah, the team that might that might answer X last question: Which team has the most to lose? It's Carolina if they lose to Nashville because yeah, you've got Brendan Moore on the last year of his contract. You know, does Dundon pull that contract uh, if they lose to Nashville? It's very possible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's a little bit of a wild card, right? I mean, he's uh, definitely a little, a big bit of a wild card, I would say. Yeah, and I think that that's you're right. I mean, that that is not going to be those. Both those series are. If you couldn't, the NHL couldn't have scripted better yeah. to have those yeah. because because you're getting the North Carolina Tennessee rivalry, which is a great rivalry, and they've always wanted them to have a rivalry, and and they you know they never never built it up because they never were playing in the same even in the same conference. But now here they are playing in the same division. You get a chance to see those two teams, and you get the Florida. Thing. I mean, that could not have come together nicer for the NHL, um, and I think it's going to push in a way. It could push them to consider 
keeping those four teams together in the future in the division somehow, like it, finding a way to keep those four, because I think they, those four teams should be together. I think that, yeah, and you know, draft, yeah, that's good. You know, if you still at Atlanta, you, you, that would have been an amazing thing too. Like that, you know, that's now the Southeast, but anyway, uh, we do have, we're out of time. Thanks. Thank you so much, Tom, for right. jumping My on pleasure. and giving us exactly what's going to happen with the Rangers. You can, if you didn't see to hear what Tom said, you got to watch it later. Um, <laughs> again, the replay, but that's uh, right. exactly. Exactly what's going to happen. There's no question about it. Remember, without the buzz all, it's just hockey. We will talk to you. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash aware.